Welcome, welcome, listeners. It's the avenue for pen reviews. That's right, listeners. Welcome, scribes and scribblers. You're back once again with the Nib Section, official podcast of Fountain Pens Oceania. I'm here. We're in, we're in some cush digs today uh, in the <laughs> in the uh, new place. I don't know if you heard, but she was moving. Um, but in the new place of uh, one. However, of re- did we find out <laughs> that she was I, moving? I don't know how we could have found out. But uh, our returning hosts, uh, both both regulars, we've got Sharon once again, generous benefactor, this time providing us with uh, the comfort of her new house. Welcome, Sharon. Thank you for having me. And joining me again is Diana. Good to see you again, Chuck. I, I have a tea, personally. but um, In a great two, mug. Yeah, uh, that says Foxy Lady. And uh, <laughs> our other two hosts are getting started on the bubbles. Thanks for the bubbles, Sharon. Uh, thanks, Di. What are we writing with today? Why don't you start us off, Chuck? Well, um, this is going to tie into the rest of the episode, which I will uh, prime for us later. But I have with me an Aurora Optima, my first Optima. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is the yellow uh, resin one. Yes, I, I'm pretty sure it's a resin. Pretty, um, and unlike sure the the other... The older Optima models, it's not auraloid, so yeah. it doesn't have that celluloid-like finish. No, it's, it's more it, of a straightforward it's, resin. It's very flat, um, mm-hmm. and it's a perfect, very bright, perfect golden yellow. Yeah, very, uh, very chuck. Correct. Very, very yellow. Uh, it is one fifty-one of three thirty, and it is oh, nice. uh, the Aurora Fine Flex Nib in uh, rhodium trim, and uh, this is a pen that. On the day of the Sydney Pen Show, when I had a walk around and there was nothing that I wanted to buy at the show, I decided I would have a commemorative pen and I put in an order on Apple Boom while I was at the event. Um, <laughs> so, so that's this, your Sydney Pen Show this pen. This is my Sydney Pen Show pen. And you can never get rid of it now. No, correct. I don't <laughs> think I ever would want to. There's, yeah. there's a lot of things that line up for it, but I'll get into that later. I'm going to pass it to Diana because I want to... I wanna finish off on Sharon's. Um, but Diana, what are you writing with today? We're all writing with new pens for us, aren't we today? So I have with me a Visconti Homo sapiens Dark Ages in the midi size. And let me uncap it. It has a, a fine palladium. That Yeah, it's, um, it's a palladium nib. And it was loaned to me by Christina Kowalan, uh, also from the podcast, to specifically to do a review of the Homo sapiens. I used to have a Homo sapiens about two years ago. Um, I didn't have it for very long. It wasn't to my liking. And if you ask anyone um, who's known me for a while in this hobby, um, they'll know that I have a particular dislike for Homo sapiens. I call them logs because they look like you know, like rough-hewn logs, basically. I never found them particularly aesthetically pleasing. I offloaded mine about two months after I bought it originally, and I've never really looked at them since. So recently I was thinking, you know, maybe I should reassess my prejudices and give it another go. And so Christina was kind enough to loan it to me. I'll talk more about it later. Which takes us to Sharon. (laughs) So um, as some people may have heard, I've been moving... (laughs) And so the last time, last time on this particular podcast, I was still in the midst of packing and it was my last day of packing and I was moving out, thank God, of the family home. 
And to celebrate, it just so happened that there was a Nakaya festival on in Singapore with Aesthetic Bay. And I was on Instagram looking at all of these live stories, Insta stories of everyone who was there handling pens. And Aesthetic Bay was pretty good. Every single night they uploaded about 20 photos of the stock that um, Yoshida-san from Nakaya had actually brought to Singapore. Is this on their Instagram? Or? This was on Facebook and Instagram, okay. yes. I'm oh, he really was doing a, he was doing a nib <laughs> clinic. He was he? doing a, a Nakaya nib clinic where you could go and purchase a pen and then get it tuned up on the spot. And I was looking through all of these photos and they had the standard decapods, twist decapods. I had my eye on this Akatamanuri twist decapod, which I will get someday. It's just not in the cards at the moment. But I got to their fancy schmancy Marquier photo and there was one pen on that particular photo that I saw and I was like, oh my gosh, that's been my grail pen for about 10 10 years now? I'd say a good 10 years. Oh, really? Um, and it is the twice Tame, Suka- Tame Sukashi bamboo in Neo Standard. It's actually called the Bamboo Woods. Bamboo Woods. There we go. Yeah. Um, but it's the twice Tame Sukashi one um, in a Neo Standard. And the reason why I particularly like the Neo Standard, and I've never liked the Neo Standard as a model, um, is that this one comes with a Makie clip. So it's actually got uh, bamboo maquillet onto the clip. And so this pen and I actually go way back. Uh, I saw this pen, um, I can't remember. It must have been when I was first looking at Nakaya's, when I bought my first one. And I thought this was the most beautiful thing I'd seen in like, ever. I didn't have the money to get it back then. And I was saving up and saving up and saving up. GFC hit. It just wasn't the right time for me to be getting a pen because I was out of a job. And then fast forward a couple of years, I started picking up Nakaya's left, right and centre, but I'd never seen this particular model in person before. I'd seen the portable version, which Diana has. Yep. Um, I'd seen the portable version, but I'd never seen the Neo Standard, so the twice-done Tame Sukashi version. And um, yeah, I just thought I will buy this the next time I actually see this pen and where it's readily made. And just so happened on that last day as I was sitting back, you know, having a glass of wine, celebrating the fact that I had no more packing to do and that I was ready to actually move out of the family home once again, mm. um, that this showed up. And I immediately texted Aesthetic Bay, Mr. Tan at Aesthetic Bay, and I said, I want that pen. I don't care what it is. Like, beat down whoever <laughs> else is in line. I want that pen. Give it to me. And he was very kind enough to actually um, set aside this particular pen for me. We would just we spoke through Facebook Messenger and um, got all the details down. He was such an absolute gracious person to deal with. I asked for an elastic soft medium nib on this one, which is not a common nib you get and it's not an everyday writing nib. But when I uh, asked for it, he went to Yoshida-san and Mm -hmm. said, do you have this particular nib in stock? And Yoshida-san actually said, uh, no, we don't. I don't have this nib in stock with him on the day. He said, look, this is what I'll do. I will tune this pen to the customer, so to my liking, and then I will take this pen back with me to Japan and I will cut, get the elastic cutouts on this nib cutout. So I waited another month while this pen made its way back to Japan, got the elastic cutouts, got retuned up, got sent to Singapore and then got sent to me. Yeah. It was That's such amazing. a journey. It was about 
a solid four and a half, five weeks from me ordering it, which is like no time at all when it comes to so, nut So they actually started out with a regular SM soft medium nib yep. and then just cut out the shoulders. So um, it started off life as just a standard soft medium nib and Nakaya actually do the cutouts on the side to give it a bit more bounce. And so the best way to explain an elastic soft medium nib is it's like riding on a cushion. It's really like riding on a cushion. It's not flexible, so to speak, but mm-hmm. it does have a lot of line variation, not because the tines spread apart, but because when you press down on it, it's, it's just got increased um, flow, ink flow. And it lifts off the feed a little bit rather than um, spreading outwards. Yeah, exactly. It is a bit of a finicky nib to use and it's been one of the grail pens that um, I've had my eye on for a really long time. I don't think I've ever waited so long for a pen. So both of you are currently using pens that you bought to mark an occasion. Yes. 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 That's that's, uh, true. Although Sharon's one caused a cascade effect in that that I saw it and I was immediately angry. Um, Not at her, just in general. Um, And... Because you went to the nearest standard? I, or? I, I, so I don't collect the way that either of you two do. I keep a very small rotation. And so I figured, I was like, if I'm going to have a Nakaya, I want it to be like a, a grail. It made you reevaluate it made your re-evaluate liking for your current Nakaya. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, More renovations. Yeah. It made me reevaluate my ceiling. So I, I, I've said to Mel from uh, Melbourne that um, I don't have a collection that is so much ever growing as it is ever changing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I have listed my decapod in Akatamanuri with a clip. It's not a twist, but it's got a tremendous music nib. And I've listed it up even though I love it because I, I'm looking for... For, for that, an upgrade. Just, just a little bit. <laughs> um, it caused a cascade effect in, <laughs> that may show dividends uh, further down the line. Maybe... You know, a few episodes from now. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So today's episode is something we haven't really attempted before. We're going to make uh, a podcast today about uh, a topic that's without question completely ill-suited to audio content. Um, We're going to review some fountain pens and we're going to talk about reviewing it, um, which we're probably going to do a little bit better. We're going to try to do it in a way that stands on its own, and it's not going to be reliant on sending our listeners down link rabbit holes and Google image searches. We're going to kind of provide, uh, I know I've provided some images of my own, but mine's a very particular kind of review. Both uh, myself and Diana are doing reviews, but she brings up an interesting point about revisiting pens that I want to touch on later that I I definitely have some thoughts on. Yeah, so I sent chuck this topic of reviewing a pen and he came back to me with so what criteria are we going to review this on and um, I think my answer back to him was I can't be bothered to think about it now you tell me (laughs) and um, I think what we ended up doing is we each took our own approach to reviewing what we wanted to the pen that we wanted to have a look at so it's not going to be consistent we're not reviewing it on the same the same criterias they're not going to be comparable reviews but i think it's just a way to kick off this conversation yeah um so i mean i'll start off with the aurora optima fine flex uh, model i think the optima is like a very well covered pen i didn't have any trouble finding reviews of the sort of the regular range of optimas this time around i didn't have very many on the flex nib 
Really? Um, I, saw I, I saw them on the 88. Um, yeah. And apparently, word was that the 88 one was still quite stiff and that they'd made it softer for the Optima. So that's a later flex model again the, that was the word i didn't i didn't find a, a definitive this one it's softer than a nakaya soft medium it's probably somewhere between the soft medium of the nakaya versus the 823 fa which is something that i used a lot and i went after this one with the intention of it being a comfortable daily uh which is what i got so i'll look i'll, I'll jump into it the the optima is it's kind of like a pro- Lamborghini yellow. Yeah, it's 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 like a a pro gear. And is this the full sized one that you're handing me? Yep, Shane? I just handed Chuck a pro geared for comparison. Yeah, it's a full size. So it's got less of it's got less of the cap band. The cap band's wider on the Optima, and it's a, a little more ornate. I think the pro gear is a little more well balanced, well capped, because it does this odd thing where it spins on the band perfectly. Um, <laughs> You've tried, <laughs> uh, yeah, with my with my um, Rilo. And but the Optima is a, a really funny animal because while it is um, while it is capped, it is easily the smallest of all my pens, and I I thought I, it would be too short for me for me to like uh, at all. Uncapped, it is between a Pro Gear and the and an eight two three, like a, a real halfway point. Uncapped, it becomes. Because it posts quite deeply, it's it's a much longer pen than I expected it to be. Yeah, it's quite it's a significant bit longer than the Pro Gear once it's uncapped. And once posted, mm-hmm. if if you post, which I don't, but I I took some comparison photos, then it becomes even more comparable to a, a large size pen, and it actually is a really versatile little like. It's it's stubby. It's got a lot of um, size to it for it being so yes. um, so small. There's a, there's a few things that lined up for me with this pen in that I love a piston filler. I love an ink window. I like a range of colors available. Mm-hmm. Now um, it has lots of colors. It has, has a tremendous amount um, for the past couple of years. Yeah, a, a lot of things lined up for it. And I was just worried that I, didn't, I wouldn't like the size. I got it. Um, and in preparation for this review, uh, both Diana and Sharon lent me pens because um, I wanted to. I thought the one of the advantages that we have uh, with the nib section is that we're comparing a lot of different people's collections and a lot of different people's uh, tastes. So it being a flex nib, I received a couple of pens loaned to me from Diana and from Sharon that caused me to have a little bit of a flex nib face off, and uh, the Optima. Um, stacked up pretty well. Not not the most line variation. Um, Optima nibs are known for being quite stiff uh, and even scratchy. By yeah, some people's the, there's definitely a feedbacky kind of like a sailor feeling when when you write with it. Uh, you know, the, what do they call it? The mechanical pencil kind of feedback, mm-hmm. um, which I didn't find unpleasant at all. Um, I found it quite good at uh, getting a grip on the page, but um, I started with the Optima as the original intention of this, uh, of this review. And I was lent a few pens. So I was lent, uh, I was lent a pilot Falcon and a 912 FA from Sharon. So that's the size 10 FA nib, mm-hmm. which in my personal opinion is probably the most, um, most f- uh, flexy nib out of the box that you'll get on the market these days. Yeah. 
I compared that with my number 15 FA that was in my 823 at the time. And Diana lent me a pair of Omases uh, and an Optima Omay? Omay? Omasis? Omasai. And an Optima in um, the standard fine, just as a control. Uh, that was that was a mistake on my behalf. Uh, I ended up using that uh, Optima as a control that turned into me using it for almost three days straight uh, that ended up with me buying another Optima. But uh, what? Yeah. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> Where did that happen? Uh, I'll get into that when, oh, when it arrives. Oh, 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 I know what you're talking about now. <laughs> mm, I'll get into that when it arrives. But uh, the two Omas nibs are the uh, renowned extra flexible, uh, which float around cliff notes. And I'm going to, I'm going to have a lot of images available, but the cliff notes for this one were that I think the Falcon was probably the best everyday rider because it's snappy. It's not so soft that it sort of impedes on your standard riding style. Also the cheapest of the lot. Definitely the cheapest of the lot. The 912 FA, the number 10, and I've used the number 15 FA for a long time. The 912 FA was, I mean, it wasn't even a question. It was the more responsive, the easiest to flex um, nib of the of the whole bunch, really. Wait, is is the Falcon you're talking about, is that the resin or the metal? I think it was the, the metal. metal. The metal Falcon. So yeah. Chuck had it, my metal Falcon in a soft, fine nib. How is that nib different to the number 10 FA nib? Miles apart, oh, okay. absolutely miles apart. Um, the FA nib has the cutouts on the side, so it um, enables the tines to actually spread a little bit further. Um, and it also does the same thing as the elastic nib where it lifts off the feed a little bit so that you just get a lot more line variation. But there's an interesting thing with the newer size 10 FAs and I had a pretty long debate with Leo about this like a couple, maybe about a year ago. I have a really old FA nib from, when I say really old, maybe from about 11 years ago. Um, I bought my first size 15 FA nib and I found the size 15s back then to be a lot flexier than the size 10s because I also bought a size 10 at the time. That was not what I found with I, my review. Yeah, so I did. I wrote this comparison and um, I must have it linked somewhere where I compared those two nibs and I found that the 743, so the size 15 mm -hmm. FA nib was way flexier yep. than the size 10. And then that's what I kept telling everyone. Yep. Until last year, uh, Leo said to me, no way, the size 10 is miles apart. And by this time, I'd gotten a new 912 FA yep. with the newer size 10 FA nib. And yeah, it's miles apart. No, from it, it was by far the... it had the most line variation and it was snappy and it's a lower price point than a lot of the ones we're talking about yep it's 200 something easily i like i would recommend if you want pure line variation and you absolutely need to have it with a fountain pen that's probably that's where you're going to get the most can i ask sharon a question you said that the 823 number 15 fa yeah. nib is not as soft as the 912 number 10 fa nib so. but is that because the newer um, number 15 nibs are stiffer or because the n new number 10 nibs are just softer? Yeah, the, so the new number 10s, I feel, are a lot softer. Right. And 
I couldn't find my 742, so the gold version of the size 10 FA nib, but that's even flexier than the rhodium plate. Okay. I wonder if it's because um, more people are demanding a more accessible, flexible I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious because it, it's not like there's – it's difficult to get line variation with the number 15 FA, and it's not as if that isn't snappy, but using the two back-to-back was mm-hmm. very clear. Okay. The Optima that Diana let me was in fine was the control, and there is no line variation. It's in, a very stiff it's, nib. It's very stiff, but it's it's a joy to use as as a daily. The two Omases that you, the Omase, did we agree on? So they were um, two Omas givers, one with an F extra flexible and one with a medium extra flexible. Yeah, I found they were the softest of all of the of all of the nips. Um, and uh, if you do find them floating around, listeners... Mm, quite difficult now. Diff- difficult now. Um, but if you do find them floating around, I think while they gave a lot of line variation and they were quite smooth and soft to use, I think they're also, because of them not being as snappy, they're probably the easiest for something to go wrong with if you're heavy-handed. Does anyone have any experience with that? I Yes, yes. I have destroyed <laughs> an OMAS flex nib, but it wasn't one of the extra placebo. It was one of the um, OMAS extras, an older version of an OMAS flex nib. <laughs> it was, I just pressed it too hard and it did not spring back. So that taught me to be more gentle with my yeah. other extra flexible nibs. In fact, I'm so gentle that I hardly ever use them. <laughs> yeah. the, the character of them is completely different. The, the snappiness is, is, very, is uh, very different. The pilot ones jump right back. Um, and I didn't get that with the OMAS. But the OMAS, they give you variation so much easier. It feels amazing. But it's, you have to have really yeah. good control over how much pressure you, you you're really putting do. down. You really do. Which did you prefer, the OMS Extra Flexible or the um, the new Aurora Flexi or for, a Pilot? For a daily, for a daily, I think I chose the right nib. There's not as much line variation in the uh, in the Aurora, and in fact, when I got it, because uh, it was right out of the box, and it was from Apple Boom, who don't work on their nibs unless you request it. Oh, you know? we can talk more about that. Correct. At some point. They, um, you know, if you leave a note when you're getting them that you'd like someone to look at it, then they do, and it and it slows down the shipping a little bit because um, they have someone look at it. Someone who I will uh, be interviewing in a future future episode. But uh, I did do a little bit of work with um, some mylar and some micro mesh on it, and it's a lot better because it was hard starting a bit. Um, was a little tight between the tines, but that's normal in an aurora. Yeah, um, which is what you. Uh, which, which is what you mentioned to me. Every single when, Aurora that I've purchased um, with Nib Untuned, I've had to floss quite a while to just open up the tines a little bit because they come very tight. Some of them so tight that it was really hard to get it riding. Um, I think this the Optima Flex is probably the easiest daily as well as the Falcon in the metal at, at the least. Uh, those were... Like the two of them are quite snappy and you can get line variation, but it requires quite a bit more um, effort. The OMASs were gorgeous and beautiful, but not readily available. And um, I mean, you're going to have to hunt for those, especially for the extra flexible mm-hmm. nibs. So you're happy with your OMAS yellow with... Um it was what just was just nib? a just a broad just a just a broad but even because the regular omas nibs are still quite soft they are they're still compared quite to soft. aurora especially yeah they're still quite soft 
I think if you really want line variation, the 912 FA was by and large. The, the only thing was that I think the feed could have kept up a little better. Yeah, the feed on the 912, the newer ones, um, I think ever since they made the nibs flexier. I don't know if they made the nibs flexier. It was just my experience was yeah, that yeah. the size 10 nibs. Well, Leo nowadays. agrees with you. Well, Leo always said that the size 10 nibs were flexier no matter what. And I was the odd one out who said the size 15, at least the one that I had, was flexier. And I ha- um, like I said, we'll share pictures of it because I do have an evidence of that. But the newer ones, the feed absolutely doesn't, doesn't keep up. They're meant for really short bursts of writing. Yeah. Um, but Flexible Nib Factory, is it Flexible Nib Factory? I think that's I the think, one, yeah. I, I think was that's just going to mention they do ebonite feeds for the pilot uh, 743, so like the size 10 and the size 15 nibs, which give you the option of either two channels, two, two ink channels or three ink channels. And I've actually got one of the three ink channels for a size 15, I think, and just makes the pen basically spew out yeah. ink. I will say for the 15, if you're using like a Japanese ink, like a well-lubricated, uh, I tend to use uh, Zuku. I don't think you need the additional ebonite feed. But if you're using a lot of dry inks, then it, you can benefit from it. And for a comparison of what is a dry ink and a wet ink, you can go and listen to our ink episode. Yes, <laughs> yes, we, we, have, we have a lot on it. Um, that, I mean, that takes me to the end of mine. Um, this has uh, started a real weird thing with me, and I'm, I don't think this will be the last Aurora uh, Optima that I, that I get. You know it won't be the last I, I, Aurora I know you that, that. You already one. know. <laughs> I already know, but I wonder if there will be more. And that, that takes me to the end of mine. Um, I, I thoroughly recommend the Optima. If you like a cigar body, I have not tried the 88 as much, and I'm sure someone else can mention, but the... Optima is deceptively large, even if you like a big pen. I like, I love the A23, and the Pro Gear is the absolute smallest that I will go. And the Optima was very, was very good in hand for me. Um, apart from that, all pretty great workmanship on it. I, I will say, as as a closing that I forgot to mention, it says fine flex. It's not fine. Um, it's a medium. It's a medium. <laughs> um, by that's surprising. Yeah, by because Aurora things. nib sizes are usually fairly more um, consistent in my experience with something like Graf and Faber Castell, which is on the finer end of European nib sizes. So if you put an Omas EF next to an Aurora EF, the Aurora EF is much um, more precise, much finer, and generally not as wet. You're, well, the fine that you lent me mm. was definitely a fine. This yes. this was not, but. Uh, Wait, so the flex comes in different sizes? No, it's just it just fi- it says fine flex. Maybe the fine means great flex. Yeah, yeah. Fine, <laughs> Rather fine, than fine, an actual fine, nib size. Fine is a quality yes. statement there. I'd really be keen to see how that Aurora fine flex matches up to one of the Franklin Christoph flex Oh, nibs. the new ones. Yeah, so I've had my eye on one of them for a while now. Um and I just haven't bit the bullet yet because mm-hmm. I haven't found a model that I – sorry, a finish that I really like. Mm. And so I watch this space. I have mm. my eye out. I miss out on all of those um, lottery draw thingamabobbies yeah. that they've got on all the cool model sizes. The Coke bottle. The Coke oh. bottle finishes and all of that. But, mm. hey, look, if I get really shitty with this whole process someday, I will buy a ticket to go to a pen show just to go just pick to up go. one. I like the Amber and Sinner, but that's me. Um, <laughs> Okay, so under my review, 
we're very Italian heavy this episode because I'm looking at the Visconti Homo sapiens. Um, like I said, I had a Visconti Homo sapiens about three years ago. I only bought it in the midi because I thought the, the maxi size, the larger one, is just too large for my hands, whereas the midi is more of a, an appropriate size for me to write with, me preferring more um, slim and not too heavy pens. I did not keep it for very long. The nib was, I think the nib had really bad baby's bottoms. I purchased it, I think, from Guido, the Australian Visconti distributor. Uh, he has a store on eBay where he is Rosmenko. Okay. And he sells Auroras, Optimas, and a bunch of Italian pens and I think leatherware, leather goods, and inks at very good prices directly, but he doesn't do nib work. Um, so that's the caveat. Having said that I got it for a good price, I was not happy with the pen and so I didn't keep it. And ever since then, I've just, I, I won't try a Homo sapien. People always claim a Homo sapien is one of those grail pens, especially if you like that sort of minimalist black on black aesthetic. I think they've, they've definitely found their niche. There's, there's like... It appeals to the kind of people that I find like tactical wear appeals to. EDC people. Yeah, they they really marketed the lava aspect of mm. very the Homo sapiens very, very well. Mm. Personally, if I were to go for a Visconti, I'd go for an over-the-top decorative Visconti. If I think minimalist or EDC, you don't it's, think, I don't think Visconti. You don't think Italian in oh, well, yeah, that, but I especially don't think Visconti. I do like the tactile feeling of the um, basaltic resin in hand. I'm, I'm glad you say resin because it is mostly resin. It's like yep. resin with a little bit of mineral with basalt ground into it. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't feel like rock. It feels like resin. Yeah. With some porousness to it, which yeah, yeah. I actually do not like. You don't? Okay. Because, you know, I don't like the Macrolon finish on the, um, the regular Lamy 2000s either. I just Burn her. What? what? <laughs> <laughs> no, you're Blasphemy. entitled to your opinions. Yeah, I just, I just find it so coarse and uncomfortable against my delicate fingers. Okay. <laughs> for those of you, for those of you um, not in the room, Dinah's uh, fingers are perpetually bandaged. Uh, and the, she, Including from earlier today. She, has to, she has to rub salve into them every 15 minutes. <laughs> that is not too far from the truth. My nails are all, all bitten down to the quick and um, bad cuticles. Anyway, when I was brainstorming ideas for a particular episode, I was thinking about how maybe I just misjudged the Homo sapiens. Because as you two know... My fellow FPO mod, Aiden, is a great fan of Homo sapiens. Not necessarily You don't in, say. <laughs> not necessarily in the balsamic balsamic? Not balsamic. Balsamic vinegar finish. <laughs> not necessarily in the lava finish, but in the resins and the various uh, demonstrator models. And I love to rib him on the Homo sapiens. <laughs> If you heard our QC episode, uh, that was that was a real interesting episode. Being in the room, lines were drawn. Yeah, well, he was the only defender of Visconti's that I remember from the day. But you know, 
I'm not someone who enjoys being, you know, considered immovable on any particular subject. I like to think that I'm open-minded, <laughs> whether or not you think that's true. So I thought, you know, this is one pen that I've always had this enmity against simply because it was so popular and I just, it never worked for me. So maybe I should give it another go. And so I asked Chrissy if she would loan me hers. And the result of my um, having tried it again for about three, four weeks is still not working for me, guys. Your, your opinion is unchanged. Okay. <laughs> so the balsamic vinegar didn't work out for you. I had a joke in there about word salad, but I was I had I had my my mic down for too long. <laughs> so I have to say. This MIDI model, which is the same as the one I had originally, it feels okay. The finish is pretty smooth. What are the, what are the age models? I haven't I haven't. Uh, There's the dark uh, bronze age? age and the dark age. Yeah. yeah, the bronze age. It's very subtly bronzed in the trim. I think I I prefer that of the two. I just I like a little bit of contrast. Mm. And I think there might have been There's also some, a, a like a rhodium yeah. finish one. I don't know if they call it the Silver Age or something. I don't. I don't know. I've. I know a Bronze Age and Dark Age. Silver Age maybe. is a really comics term. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll look it up. And I think some specialty models also have like a rose gold, um, yeah. coloured trim. But um, the material in the hand did not disturb me as much as it did originally. And I have to say, the nib on the the fine nib on this Visconti Homo Sapiens is much better than the medium that I originally had on mine. It doesn't have baby's bottoms. I've had a look at it under a loop. But the problem, well, the major problem I had with this particular pen is that it does hard start and the flow is just terrible. Okay. It dries out really quickly. So when I use a pen, the nib experience is the main determining factor of whether or not I'll ever pick it up. And if it just doesn't write, then I won't use it, no matter how pretty it is. Yeah. And with this particular pen, applying the normal amount of pressure that I like to use when I write, which yep. is basically no pressure at all, just the weight of the pen. And with this pen, the weight is quite considerable. With that amount of pressure, this pen will not write. You actually have to you know, press down fairly hard to get it to apply a line. So I've just re-inked this this morning because I cleaned it out last week. So um, Chuck is I'm giving it a, a go. He's going to give it a go. It should be okay now. You're holding it upside down, Chuck. Hey. <laughs> um, Do so you even know how to use a fan? <laughs> I don't. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a charlatan. <laughs> so it, it should be fairly okay today because I've just inked it. It will be very wet. But give it a day or two capped and it will go completely dry. And you actually have oh, to either... Oh, yeah, this is, this is a quite, quite a wet feed as well that I'm, yes, that I'm seeing. Yes, it's here. dripping. But if you leave it till tomorrow, you won't be able to get it right riding on the first go. Mm. And that's something I really look for because when you have as many pens inked at the same time as I do, it's fairly unusual that I'll write with one every single day unless it's my vanishing point. So I need it to write on the first go. This one, it just it's either because the cap does not provide very good fit... Um, and it just dries out the nib, or which is what I suspect, uh, the feed is just not working very well with the particular nib. And even though it's very wet, there's something wrong with this nib, guys. I hate the cap. I like 
I'll be the first person to say that I hate the what was that lock catch system that Visconti's got? I think it's a shit system. Sorry, pardon my French, but it is a terrible system. I know it's meant to help you uncap a pen with one hand, blah, 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 blah. It doesn't work and it's a nightmare if it ever breaks. Also, not often a scenario I find myself in. Having to uncap a pen with one hand. I, I, mean, I have a vanishing like, point for that. Yeah, I mean, that being a system that you market it as... I mean, usually if I'm writing, I'm probably going to have two hands available. Hook latch system. Isn't that what it's called? Hook latch. I'm just trying to figure out yeah. what it was called. Yeah. Because I've got a great jammed one that I can show you guys. Like, literally, it's in my study. I mean, I, I opened my up to my one-handed just now. <laughs> you can't fix these things. Like, as soon as they... Um, the mechanism jams on this and there is a tendency to do that because it's the actual mechanism is in the cap itself and so if the inner cap at any point gets loose your pen's done it's done like done 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 do they still use this model um this particular closing mechanism absolutely it's their one of their trademark closing mechanisms like give me a screw cap any day the only visconti that i have really been enamored with was the Van Gogh, the old style Van Gogh, which just had a regular screw cap. Like, what's wrong with a screw cap? I I like the magnet Van Goghs, but I, I will say that it's it's odd that it dries the, out. Yeah, but and I will say that it's odd that the lower end Visconti's appeal to me more. No, nothing odd with that. The because the the higher end ones are it's elegance by the way which is the silver trim one. Oh really, the Homo sapien elegance. It's which seems like a break in in branding. Yeah, the naming you know? yeah, scheme. Yeah. So if you look at something like the Divina, like for all intents and purposes, should appeal to me um, in that I like a decapod, and it's got a twist. And yeah, it's like a decapod twist. Yeah. I used to have a Divina too. Got rid of that. It's <laughs> it's. It's a lot for me. It's a lot. I, I, I think the design is... Uh, there's, uh, hold on, Sharon's, oh, Sharon's, Sharon's bringing out a box. A Visconti box. Wait, is this the broken pen? Oh, the divine proportions. I'm going to try to... Oh, no. It's, <laughs> it just cap, will not come this out. This cap is stuck. Have, you, ha, have they tried to force it out? They forced it, so it broke in the first place. So, like, yeah. great. Anyway, but that's... um. I've just handed Chuck a Divine Proportions, which should be everything that he loves in a pen. That's shit. And you like the deco? You want the decapod twist? I love the decapod twist, to be honest. And it's a celluloid finish. It's sterling silver trims. It's actually a really great pen. I really like that pen, except for the stupid cap mechanism because it's stuck. It's basically the, the only thing wrong with my Divine Proportions is that the inner cap is loose. It's, but that's a big problem, right? It, it's come unstuck and there's a spring mechanism in there which causes the hook latch system to work in the yeah. first place. So as soon as your inner cap gets unstuck, the spring mechanism is just permanently on and you can't press it down because it can't use the inner cap's um, pressure yeah. to unlock it. And so my pen is now permanently locked. It's got a great nib on it. It's an old style extra, extra I'm, fine I'm going to have to take your word for it. I think that's a just really bad design flaw. When something goes wrong, there's no way to take it apart to fix it yeah, without this, destroying this is, the pen. This is a real like kind of NASA situation. <laughs> How like, to depressurize like, it from like, the like outside? A minor, a minor flaw renders the whole thing incapable. <laughs> Basically, that's a shame because yeah. because it, it is a beautiful pen. Mission jeopardized. So I think you will have heard from all of us that 
we have problems with Visconti and um, my giving the Homo sapiens another go has not alleviated any of those issues. It's not that they make necessarily terrible pans. The problem with the Viscontis is that it's not just one thing going wrong. It's the likelihood of so many different things going wrong. It's the nib, it's the feed, it's the locking mechanism, it's the resin, it's the way that it's assembled. Um, The very first Visconti I bought, which was an Australian uh, limited edition, the I think called the Fiorenza Lava, which was a really beautiful blue um, swirly resin. The end cap of that just came off within months and they had to glue it back on. And this was like a 900... Nine hundred Australian dollar pen. I, I will say, at the price point that Visconti's appear at, I don't like the amount of things that I hear QC wise at that yes. price point. Which is, if you're just going to be displaying them, you know, great. If they're, I was, they're beautiful. If I was hearing things left, right, and center about Kakunos and Preras, I'd be like, so suck it up and <laughs> yeah. make it work. Like <laughs> people still buy Ding Hao's. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think. I, I used to own a fair number of Viscontis because, as I said, I was a big fan of the Van Gogh model. Um, I thought they had a very good period of time where they were using gold nibs rather than this whole palladium shindig that they're on now. That period of time, I felt a lot of their designs were quite consistent. They were using interesting acrylics. They were sticking to the couple of models that they knew they did really, really well. I think this was right before they introduced the Divine Proportions Divina. And consistently, all of those pens worked like an absolute treat for me. They're 14K and 18K nibs. I still own one of them, actually. Um, And there's nothing wrong with that. I think as they've tried to push the innovation boundaries a little bit more, they maybe have gone a little bit beyond what they've been able to guarantee um, in their pens. But I'm also curious to know how they've gone since Dante Del Vecchio Vecchio has um, uh, left the company. Has there been any change in Viscontis Mm. that are coming out now versus when, like, the Homo sapiens that you're Mm -hmm. trying – since when that came out they've been fairly quiet haven't they since i i love an experimental like a company that takes risks i I love a company that that takes like major risks design wise or engineering wise often those two don't line up though to take an engineering risk as well as a design risk at the same time is a much greater risk whereas if you take a design risk on a well-functioning model on a well-functioning system that is much less of a risk just don't don't try to do too much at one time right they i think guilty of probably overreaching Mm. but at the same time i i have to continually check myself when i'm criticizing visconti because i'm well aware that um i'm very fond of the other two italian brands which are very popular omas which might be coming back guys we should ask Costa for his opinion on that. Oh, he probably has a lot of thoughts about that. He does have quite a few <laughs> thoughts. He had a couple of thoughts about the ASCs towards okay. the end. Yeah, so I, I quite like the vintage Omasses and I have a lot of Auroras as well. And they are not unused to and I'm, I'm not let's just say I'm not unused to having Auroras and Omasses having various issues with them. But I think the incidence is much lower than what you find 
just with Visconti in general as a brand. And less uh, catastrophic yes. engine failure kind <laughs> right. of situations. They're, they're more, you know, like minor nib issues that you can actually get fixed yep. and not like massive things that, you know, just cause you to write off the entire pen. So what about Montegrappers? I used to own a lot of the older style Montegrappers. Not a, not a single one. I've never tried one. No, neither uh, have I. I actually really quite liked the older style Montegrappers because those pens were some of the purest and I don't know if simple is the right word, but they were the purest in terms of style, good materials. They were all sterling silver trim. They were all celluloid, ebonite feeds. Um, it was really about letting the material itself shine. Letting letting the material shine, absolutely. Um, I think maybe about seven out of ten multigrappers that I had ever tried had babies bottom or hard starts or just wouldn't write. However, when they did write, they were some of the most beautiful pens that I've ever tried. They also did fall apart a lot. So, <laughs> again, I own a couple of micras still. I think my mum has about three of them. Um, she was a big fan of the pocket micro pens and they were beautiful um, purse pens. They've got the Nomo that just came out, the Montegrappa. So, I'm the talking Montegrappa, about pre-Aquila Montegrappa. Okay, okay, okay. So, pre the new skull and crossbones right, and dollar right, right, signs. Right, 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 right. right. <laughs> I'm not quite sure how I feel about the skull, crossbones, and dollar signs. Actually, no, I do know how I feel about the skull, crossbones, and dollar signs. The tone is there. I I think we've got it. Okay, let's wrap up the actual reviews. Do you you have much more to say on on the actual pen, though? No, I I really don't have that much thoughts on the the, um, Homo sapiens. It is polarizing. It is. It is is really polarizing. It's just not, it's not attractive and pleasurable enough pen to use that I'm willing to overlook its deficiencies and not just deficiency in this particular model, which is is okay. It's like, it's perfectly usable if you have a very heavy hand. I've come across other homo sapiens with such bad baby's bottoms that they just won't write at all. Okay. So let's, let's step away from the actual reviews and let's talk about review like reviews themselves um none of us really make a daily habit of reviewing fountain pens i know me and me and i took very very different approaches i I kind of took uh a roger and ebert approach is like do i give this a thumbs up or a thumbs down you went you did like a deep dive on one particular aspect yeah yeah um and then at the end like against all of these eight pens this one is good (laughs) but sharon was once uh, quite a prolific reviewer on fountain pen network all of us have read and watched our fair share of reviews and absent a friend or a local brick and mortar that has like all of the pens. Reviews are the closest we'll ever get to experiencing a rare and unusual pen for ourselves. Blogs and YouTube channels devoted to reviews of pens, inks, and paper can be considered the backbone of the community and fuel all the other activities we enjoy. The discussion, the speculation, and the FOMO. Um, how often do the two of you consume reviews? Um... Fairly often, actually, but I must admit, probably not the full-blown detailed reviews. I think once upon a time, at least when I was doing uh, a lot more pen reviews on Fountain Pen Network, um, there was quite a generic structure for the reviews. You would have a point system where you would talk about the shape or the style of the pen, the material, the nibs, the overall experience, that je ne sais quoi element to it. Um, And you'd give them an actual um, mark, a score so that you can benchmark them. 
um, I think reviews have moved away from that now. Definitely. Where, it, one, our attention spans are so much shorter. And if there's anything more than three paragraphs on Facebook, I have a tendency just to skip past it unless I'm really interested TLDR. in the contents. Yep, Wait, TLDR. So, so for, compar- um, for context, when were you doing your reviews? 2007, 2008. Yeah, so 10 years ago. Yep, about 10 years ago. Um, and I did quite a lot of them. Um, and I did ones where I compared certain nib grinds mm-hmm. versus um, just new pens that I got, like which ones that I really, really liked that no one else may have reviewed before. Um, whereas nowadays, I consume reviews where if there's a picture, uh, usually it's on Facebook, picture yeah. with one paragraph summary of what it is and what their opinion of it is, and then I'll ask the questions because that way I can ask the questions that actually matter to me and I can ask about the features that matter to me. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I am desperately curious about and it's still on my wish list and Diana and I have been talking about this previously, the Opus 88, I want to get one. <laughs> I yeah. really want to get one. I want to get one, but, oh, but I couldn't find the demonstrator. Um... Oh, you can get one from Tingo at My Hearty Timberbox. Oh, I really Renee wanted to Pen buy Classics. off Renee, but he, I think they were out of stock last time I checked i don't know but anyway plug for those two um renee hook me up tingo hook her up as well (laughs) or hook me up um but the problem that i have with the opus 88 is that in all of the reviews that i've seen i haven't been able to see it compared against a pen that i own so that i understand the size because the demonstrator which is also the one that i want i think is quite big size comparisons are often the first thing absolutely yes yeah so i'm huge on the size comparisons because my hands are relatively small and i have particular pen sizes that I like. And I don't post. So I if, don't post either. So if it goes under pro gear size, I don't I don't like it. Um, and if it goes over a certain size as well, you know, that's but yeah, si- size comparisons are often the first thing that I look for and are not readily available. Funnily enough, for the Optima, I did a bunch of size reviews. That's when a lot of the community groups really help out because you can actually ask people who have the particular pen you're after. Can you put it against a whole bunch of other pens that are quite common or ones that I have or stuff like that? And those are the ones where it's not actually a formal review, but I find those to be very, very useful. And I'm more than happy if I have those particular pens to try and take those photos Mm. and um, uh, show others. So where the sizes land. Yeah. I I consume reviews pretty much anytime I'm interested in a pen because I will kind of browse through as many opinions as I can find. But I don't like the regimented format. One of my favorite formats on the, uh, you know, in the community is hand over that pen where they've got three different people reviewing the one pen and they show their different grips. They show it posted. I've never come across that at all. Uh, I'll I'll bring it up. I have. I'll bring it up for you. Um, They were instrumental for me um, with uh, this Aurora. Um, So who are the three people reviewing the pen? uh, I'll I'll bring it up. um, any, anyway, they, they start with uh, a, a bunch of comparison pictures of people who hold pens differently, uh, people who uh, of diff- who prefer different sizes, sort of lean in to think not just writing samples, which writing samples are nice, but I think they, they're not necessarily what I want out of a review because you can do work and you can make a nib kind of you know there's a there's a little leeway with a nib but the, the a body shape is a body shape and you know weight and balance are, are also things that aren't you're not going to be able to change very much 
So my least favourite part of any type of pen review and the reason why I don't watch a lot of YouTube pen reviews is the focus on the writing aspect. I never watch the videos. I don't I don't watch the videos and I honestly apologies to everyone who does do pen reviews. I don't care how a pen writes for you because it's not going to write the same way for me. Yeah. The videos are and this might just be this might just be a patience thing. The videos are often like a 5 to 6 minute bit of content. Watch it double time. I watch all of mine double yeah. time. They're yeah. not good for scanning. No, whereas uh, I think a, a review you can skip past, uh, you know, a, a review with pictures, you can skip past any bits you want and then go back to it. Like a lot of the time I'll skip to the bottom third or like right into the meat of the, the review and I'm just where, you know, the person's actual opinions start to come through. I'm not getting a um, recount of how it was shipped to them or right out of the box. I'm I'm very unconcerned with the right out of the box feeling. I want to know how you feel about it, you know, three days later or a week later after you've been writing with it. Um, I, I, I want a more considered opinion. The type of reviews that I particularly value are more personalized reviews from users who've had the pen for quite a bit of time and have been yep. using it for a while. Even if it's a vintage pen, maybe especially if it's a vintage pen or something that you've been using day in and day out for a number of years, they're the ones who will give you the most thorough and useful information about a pen. Absolutely. You hit the nail on the head of what I was going to say as well. I think I would really like to see more of pen reviews where they do an out-of-the-box comparison and then revisit it, say, Mm -hmm. a month after they've been using it. Is it still the same feeling? Because out-of-the-box, there's a certain um, adrenaline rush that you get from unboxing a brand-new pen and everything's fantastic and rosy. There's excitement and there's things that you will be like, oh, it's got this, but it's not a big deal. I want to see if that becomes a big deal. Yeah. 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 So one month down the track. Just the number of pens that each of us has gone through. We know that, you know, after using a pen for a number of, for amount of time, your view on it changes, it develops. Um, and that's, I think, probably more important than the initial experience of it. Absolutely. Like I remember when the M805 Deep Ocean, is it called the Deep Ocean? Ocean Swirl. Ocean Swirl. The Ocean Swirl. When that came out and the hype train on that was so massive and I had real FOMO. And because I was seeing all these photos of the ocean swell and I said, oh my gosh, I need an ocean swell. If I don't get an ocean swell, my life is incomplete. Knowing full well, one, I don't really use 800 models because I just, they're too big for my hand. Um, Mm -hmm. I use one every like half a year or so. I don't like the 800 model as a overarching statement it's too big for my hand but my gosh everyone else was talking about it so I got caught up in that nowadays if you ask me about the ocean swirl I can't tell you jack diddly squat about it (laughs) I can't tell you we've already we've already earned our our (laughs) yeah (laughs) sorry Um, (laughs) my potty mouth has earned us a very um (laughs) adult rating I apologize for that but like honestly I can't remember diddly squat about the ocean swirl right now if you ask me anything about it I think it was a Yamadori color blank. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what size nib I have on mine. No, I'm like I'm like this about movies, right? Like it, there's there's movies that you enjoy when you watch them and then you walk out and you you don't remember a, a single thing. Yeah, um, like fast food. So movies like the what is it? The um the solo movie that came out. I had fun while I was in there. I cannot tell you a scene. Like I could maybe if pressed, I'd have to think about it. Mm-hmm. 
And yeah, like it. And it with has... and with a fountain pen, something especially if it's something that you're going to be spending hundreds or thousands of dollars on, you don't want something just to give you immediate pleasure. It's not even Intense immediate because they have to ship it to you. It's like a you week later. To, to it's a it. week later. You get it and you're going, why, why did I, I buy this? this? Yeah. Why? I'm, I'm like that with all of the Pro Gear Slim slims that come out. Oh, I like, know. They're so beautiful. Like, but oh, I know the slims cute. don't work for me. Yeah, I'm like, this is tiny. This is this is. <laughs> really likes the Pro Gear well Slim. I don't. Oh, I don't have any don't anymore. No, I'm like, this is yeah, well and truly a tiny pen. Like I, I don't, I don't like having them around really. But they're so pretty. They're real. So they're, cute. They're, they're nice, and the the design aspects on all of the sailors are something that I really appreciate. The color combinations, the sparkly mm. resins, so collectible. And it it doesn't it doesn't line up. Um, so this brings me to something um, that I wrote down in the show notes further down, which is. Do you think that's one of the downsides of review culture? And I see this a lot in other online communities as well. I used to be quite active in uh, perfume and makeup reviews where everything was very much driven by marketing cycles. So new products would get launched and then all the reviewers are suddenly posting all these reviews and you're just flooded with images and hot takes and generally a consensus is reached very quickly, maybe days before a product is even launched. And that drives all these followers, people who follow um, personalities to purchase or pre-order these products. And then you have the inevitable, more possible backlash, but also the indifference as yep. people move on to the next, you know, and this, hot this, thing. This is the FOMO thing that, that, right. that you yeah. mentioned. It's like people want to be part of that movement. And there, there is, there's like a, it's like that early adopter tech culture kind of thing. I'm very comfortable not being an early adopter. Oh, I, yeah. I, would, I still don't have an Apple Watch. I would love to see, you know, I want version 4.68. <laughs> You know, yeah, work out I, all the kinks yeah, first. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't want version one. I, I might even skip 2.0. Like I really need a few people to, to go through it. I don't, I don't need to be there. I've backed enough bad Kickstarters in my life. I don't, I'm very susceptible to FOMO. Like uh, I really am. When the hype train really builds up to its peak point and they're saying, you know, last call for boarding yeah, and yeah. I'm not on that train. <laughs> I I feel the worst sense of FOMO. And believe me, I do regret it. There are many, many purchases that I absolutely regret. Both of you bought 823s that you don't have anymore. I uh, do not because it just wasn't. (laughs) It is great. It was a great pen. It just wasn't for me. Yeah, and that's that's it. And you don't know that unless you've spent some time with it. Correct. Correct. And I should have just nicked Chuck's 823 for like a week. Oh, just, and then I would have, have known sufficient. it was the wrong wrong pen for me. Yeah. Actually, I did nick Chuck's 823. You I did. bought it. And then I sold it pretty much <laughs> yeah. like, what, two, three weeks afterwards. Yeah. I had mine for about three weeks. And I said, it's great. It's just not balanced yeah, in my hands. Size-wise. This, this Absolutely. Is, this is like a genie who shows up. Who's? Uh, it's been a long time since Jean was on the show. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's been a long time. Loves a small pen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Loves a small pen. And recently with the Tequila Sunrise Sailor that um, got announced, she... Aren't you glad that's a regular oh, first size? I'm so size? glad it's a regular size. <laughs> or maybe asking, not. She was asking if it came out in slim. So it's the <laughs> inverse of what normally happens. Oh. But yeah. Um, I mean, the feel in hand is something that people can talk about. They can talk about grippy. They can talk about... Uh, smooth finish, they can talk about coarse, but the balance in your hand is something that is very difficult to come across in 
in a review. So when I first got into fountain pens, um, like intensely about mid-2015, I consumed a lot of reviews just because I wanted to expose myself to as broad a range of fountain pens as I could. And at that time, we weren't having regular Sydney meetups yet, so I couldn't try out these pens for myself for the most part. So um, I, I watched a lot of YouTube videos. I followed a lot of blogs. By that point, um, the reviews generally weren't very quantitative. Um, there were more personal takes, even though there, there was um, you know, measurements, things like that, and comparisons. But... I, I thought they were helpful at the time, but they certainly did make me want to buy more pens. And looking back on it, um, I have to question whether that was ultimately a good thing or not, because a lot of those pens I bought in the first year and a half or so, I don't have any more. I was still discovering and refining what I liked. And maybe if I hadn't exploded with um, you know, these interests for these pens that I've never seen before. Maybe I would have been more cautious and um, more considered in how I selected. I would have put more thought into every individual purchase the way that you're doing, Chuck, yep. even though your buying rate is definitely speeding up. Yeah. Um, again, not growing, just ever shifting. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I do know exactly what you're saying. Um, in in guitar circles, they call this like gear acquisition syndrome. Mm -hmm. and it's just the, the amount of time you spend looking at a thing and telling yourself, oh, I just want to see if it's quality. You're mentally preparing yourself for obtaining that thing. And it's really like, it's really kind of all over I hate saying the word social media because it immediately, and I don't like commentating on social media as a. Social as, media's changed so much in the last as a decade. Whole. It's it's vastly different. Yeah. But if if you're spending any amount of time on a very visual social media, um, you know, not so much like a Twitter or, but if you're on Instagram or if you're on any of those, those pictures are going to pull you in much more than some than like a tweet about someone going, "Hey, this pen is great." If you see the glam shots of that pen, you're going to fixate on it. And Tequila Sunrise. <laughs> I, I immediately put a pre-order down on that one. <laughs> no, but at the same time, I don't want to um, devalue all the work and the time um, that pen reviewers have put into providing these resources, right? You know, as someone mm. who's reviewed yep. pens yourself, there are a lot of work and they take a lot of time and thought. Yep. Even if you're just sticking to a template, mm -hmm. you know, it's still a lot of words. And when you have a full-time job, that's something that you're really delivering Absolutely. free to the community. So I really applaud them for doing that. And I think they're fantastic, especially like a back resource. Mm -hmm. I'm less fond of just as a movement, the the flood of reviews that follows a new product launch. Just I, I, You're I, thinking, I know exactly which pen you're thinking of. You're thinking about the dream pen, aren't you? I actually haven't read a single review for the dream really? pen. Really? I've read at least four. Oh. Mm. I've read quite a few I've reviews. I've been trying to stay away from a lot of reviews. I'm, like, This is the one, the one show. The one show. <laughs> the one, the, the one. I don't know how to pronounce that because CH... There's a bit of a weird sound. Oh, the the, the, the Rakuten stores are... Yeah, uh, the Honey, honey Hunt. hunt. Yep. <laughs> Jinx. <laughs> we shop there way too much. Like, look, I, I think 
reviews provide an absolutely crucial part of the community in that if we didn't have reviews, we wouldn't know what certain things are coming out with or what new slash old pens people have rediscovered. And it gives you a bit of insight as to what other people are thinking about a particular pen model because, you know, not everyone's going to like a Sailor pen. Not everyone's going to like a Visconti. Not everyone's going to like an Aurora. Um, But you need that diversity of opinion to at least put you in the right place to decide whether or not you're going to spend that extra money either getting a pen or borrowing one to determine whether or not you should get, um, own one. Yeah. It's, it's a credit to the reviewers as well that you can make your enthusiasm infectious, right? And, Absolutely. And, and that transfers through. You should be able to do that as a, as a reviewer. If you like something, communicate that. And if you don't communicate that, that's, you know. And I think the one thing we haven't really touched on, um, and I think it's worth almost an episode on itself, is ink reviews. <laughs> ink reviews, I think, are priceless. And I consume probably 10 times as many ink reviews as I do pen reviews. There is a lot of very good ink reviews found on Fountain Pen Network, very prolific reviewers on Fountain Pen Network. And a lot of those images, the links are just not being updated or the links are just dying. And um, what you're doing is just losing this whole period of reviews from several years back or even a decade ago. The material's just gone. Yeah, true. True. I hadn't actually thought of that. I'm pretty sure half of my pictures yeah. are all dead links already. <laughs> lots, lots of dead links if you're looking. I had, I had trouble finding some for, particularly if it's an older ink that hasn't been on the hype train for a mm-hmm. long time. Do you mean Twilight? I... Oh, I love that ink. I had a little little difficulty finding resources for that. Prolific reviews for virtually every Iroshizuku. So many reviews for Walden Pond. Um, (laughs) The meme inks. So so an interesting thing with with reviews and time we've mentioned is opinions changing. Mm -hmm. Have you done what Diana tried to do today? Have you re-evaluated a pen, but in this case, warmed up to it? one that you'd written off. I, very initially, tried the Lamy 2000, decided I did not care for it. And a year later, I'm right back. It's almost a daily carry. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a designated work pen. In fact, it, it only leaves work to re-ink and then goes back. Um, same thing for my Safari. The That's a model that I thought was quite boring and the longer i went in with fountain pens it was like no everything that is there needs to be there and you know simple does not mean does not mean boring necessarily so i came right around to the 2000 but um what about what about you two Mm, so i had a similar experience with the 2000 but one that might shock and awe people i once absolutely refused to buy sailors i hated sailors I thought they were knockoff Montblancs, um, especially if you compare a, si- a Sailor 911 large to a Montblanc 146. The two look very, very similar. They look almost identical. And I used to think that Sailors were absolute knockoffs of Montblancs and I refused to buy them. I only got back into Sailors probably, oh, I'd say like maybe about three years ago. I think I bought my first Sailor in a very, very long time, about three years ago. And then it's just exploded from there. I, I own more than one Sailor now, FYI, guys. <laughs> <laughs> what a surprise. Yep. I did revisit them because I had a, I had a particular prejudice in my mind about the way that a sailor looked 
and I, I happen to really love them. I, I just don't think you can get the same type of nib experience with any other pen. What do you think about sponsored reviews and especially people who receive pens free of charge to review? I, I think that a sponsored review is, they're, they're often a lot more prevalent. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you can factor in and if it's disclosed is the main thing, if you can factor in that this person that has been loaned or given this is probably not going to spend as much time and it doesn't have the same emotional weight of reviewing this pen if it's you know if you're lent something then you just get to go oh this is nice or it's not there's few reviewers that are going to be as rigorous on themselves as no i need to treat this as if i had bought it and i think you'll you'll often get much of the former which is quite light yeah i enjoyed this and you won't get someone delving into it either uh, out of request or out of politeness not wanting to be too negative i take them with a grain of salt i appreciate when people actually disclose that this is a pen that they receive for review but then i also have to weigh it up against the fact that you don't own this pen you've only been lent it for a particular period of time you have to formulate your opinion in a very short period of time, even if it is like, say, two weeks, you do have to take it with a grain of salt. I, I won't say that I completely put them aside because I think having um, pens which are sponsored for review is a very good way for a much broader audience to actually appreciate and come to uh, know about certain pens. But um, yeah, I, I take them with a grain of salt and I will use that dream pen example as one. I know you haven't read any Dream Pen reviews. I read a lot of them because I was contemplating getting one of the Wancha Dream Pen Urushi. I did read one review for it, I think, on Gourmet Pens when yep. when the Kickstarter was still on. Yeah, so I read a lot of those particular reviews and every single one of them was sponsored. Because there were only prototypes available There were at only point. prototypes at the time. And I wasn't ready to commit my own money to something that I hadn't seen any impartial reviews of. If every single review out there of a pen is sponsored, then I do have to discredit it a little bit because there's always that niggling thought at the back of my mind is how impartial can you be with something that you've been loaned or you've been given? Also, if they're all prototypes. Yeah, exactly. And they've probably been checked a great deal yeah. more rigorously exactly. than just a regular line. Yeah, I mean, if you were to get a Visconti pen from Visconti to mm-hmm. review, I'm sure it would be flawless and I'm sure it would write like an absolute treat. And there have been a couple of Viscontis that I've tried that do write like that. Versus any given eBay seller. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Whether or not you're the Australian distributor. This is, I, I do think that you you need to consider the, the weight of someone having bought it to really consider is this was this worth my time would i recommend it i don't want to just hear qualities i don't want to hear oh if you like this then this is your thing and if you like this this is your thing i would love a glowing endorsement i would love i loved this you should get it here are the flaws but overall great I think also you have to think about who's the audience of these reviews are you reading the review to make up your mind on something that you know could be your only fountain pen or is it just going to be a fountain pen that you could have for a little while and then you can pass it on or give it to someone how much time do you intend to spend with this purchase and how much time do you do you want to spend with this purchase how important is it to you and I think that should influence what kind of reviews you should be reading if you have a collection of a hundred and you're just looking to expand that collection maybe it's okay to just read more shallow um 
I don't mean shallow in the sense that they're not considered, but shallow in terms of the amount of time that they spent with the pen and the depth at which they they examine every single detail and maybe their knowledge of the product. If you're casting a wider net, then you'll be more prone to accept some inconsistencies. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But if this is going to be your only pen, if, if you're Chuck and you want this to be, you know, your Sydney Pencho pen that you're never <laughs> going to get rid of. Um, We're going to aim it to keeping it at single digits, guys. <laughs> right. Then you want it to be not just something that you're going to admire for five days and then you know, maybe pass it on. You want it to be something that you know you'll you'll treasure and really like using. Yeah. And not every single review gives you that kind of information. Correct. Yeah. That's okay. I mean, that's why there's different types of communities online. And I think that's maybe the best thing to come out of this. Maybe 10 years ago, there was less variety in terms of the reviews that were available. And Mm -hmm. now you can go to all sorts of websites. You can go to Slack. You have, you know, Twitter. You have Instagram and different types of reviewers and different types of reviews to get the information that you want. So um, maybe our our final message would be there are really prolific reviewers who have really big backlogs, but maybe don't restrict yourself just to those big name reviewers. Also look up people that you know personally, um, find friends, find people on Instagram or on Facebook who are willing to give their very personal opinions on something that you're eyeing. And you might be able to find you know, someone who has no social media cred can give you more valuable information about a pen than the YouTube reviewer with 500,000 followers. Multiple user opinions is... is Put out a cry for help. Oh, look, (laughs) honestly, joint fountain pens ocean. I'm thinking about this. Yeah, we have lots of opinions. we We get lots of that coming up. I think that that might take us to the end of our uh, section. One thing I do want to mention is that I've been in discussions with David Parker of Fig Boot on Pens on YouTube, who is one of those reviewers who does systematic and very consistent reviews, video reviews on YouTube. And um, I think he will have a very different take on what he looks for in a review, what kind of information he hopes to provide to his audiences. That's a discussion I'm really looking forward to sharing with listeners. Well, that, that'll be on upcoming episodes. Uh, we haven't scheduled it yet, but I'm hoping latter half of this year. That's right. <laughs> Next few months. We're, we're scheduling new content all the time, guys. All the time. But, uh, you know, hit us up if you do have any impartial opinions about the Once Your Dream Pen as well. That's an interesting one. Um, <laughs> that takes us to our recommendation section where we can recommend recommend things that are and are not uh, fountain pen related, depending on what we like, just something that we like. I'll start with Diana um, today. While we're on the subject of social media, I'm going to recommend a absolutely delightful YouTube channel. They're a Japanese-American couple, um, I think living in small town or rural Japan. I, I first initially came upon them through a cooking channel called Jun's Kitchen. Jun is the husband and he makes Japanese recipes videos uh, process videos and you know you you come for the recipes you stay for the cats because he's got he's got three cats just wandering around his kitchen all the time being really adorable um, hangers-on and observers of his cooking process those cooking videos are absolutely delightful but um, his wife, Rachel, is so sweet and really gives you a very interesting take on what it is 
to live in Japan as someone who is not Japanese. I, I really appreciate her distinctive um, sort of approach. And recently, I think she put out a really interesting video where she was reading out tweets. She was giving this platform of the voices of women in Japan who were responding to the uh, medical university scandal, which I'm not sure if you've heard about, where a very prominent medical school in Tokyo, I think. Tokyo University. Tokyo University, yeah. yep, <laughs> was systematically lowering the scores of its female candidates for surgical training programs. Yep. And that caused a lot of women on Japanese Twitter to um, share their own stories. And because these were in Japanese, they're not very accessible for the rest of us who don't read Japanese. So Rachel was just reading these tweets out aloud. And some of them just really, really moving. And um, I think it's just a very valuable thing that she was doing. So um, check out June's Kitchen for adorable cat goodness and cooking videos and uh jun and rachel for other stuff about living in japan okay um i have a stand-up recommendation there is a series of stand-up specials on netflix uh by james a kester called repertoire and there are four episodes uh and i initially came across it uh while someone else was watching it and i was doing some work and i was irritated I was irritated, not at his content. I was just irritated because I couldn't really pierce his accent. Um, that lifted, and it also may have just been because. Wait, I, where is he from? Uh, he's from the UK. Um, I can't localize his accent. It's an English <laughs> one, but I don't know the region. And then I watched the rest of the episodes, and it is. I think maybe uh, either either the veil lifted or I was just paying more attention. He's not very difficult to understand. And it is full of well put together, very moving stuff. Really well thought out. It's four episodes. And I think if you watch it, you should watch all four. It's Repertoire by James A. Kester. It's very absurd, but it's also very, very well put together. I think that the best way I can recommend it is a recommendation from James's own dad. <laughs> uh, which is that, uh, look, he's not for everyone, but he's original and he works hard. <laughs> Great endorsement. <laughs> uh, and how's that for an impartial review? <laughs> uh, and closing out our recommendation section, since this is her house, uh, will be Sharon. So uh, I was torn between one of two recommendations. Visconti Divina. Uh, Visconti Divina. No, that didn't even make the top two list. Um, One was going to be a Netflix recommendation, but I do recall a recent conversation I had with a couple of workmates of mine when we were talking about this particular recommendation. And the comment was, Auntie, you're too old to be reviewing this type of sort of thing. Um, So it was a TV show on Netflix, which uh, I'll uh, briefly. Two other boys I loved before. Oh, the, the main guy in that's like 22 years old and he's so cute. But no, this was even this was even worse. This was one where um my uh, one of my neighbors actually is completely obsessed with this guy who's 19 years old okay. on um the newest meteor garden. So I was thinking about recommending that, and then I thought, you know what? I do value my own social media presence and my reputation a little bit more than that. So I'm going to recommend Sorted Food, which is a YouTube channel because I've been watching that, um, especially their chef versus chef battles on uh, sorted food. There are a bunch of British guys who do all sorts of food type of reviews, but I really like their chef versus chef battles because um, they give the opportunity for people to, like plebs like me, 
me mainly, um, to actually go, oh, hey, you can cook up this amazing meal in 15 minutes. So their version of fast really? food is like peri-peri chicken fillets <laughs> or something that you, they do literally in 15 minutes. 15 minutes on the stove. How about prep? You know, it includes prep and st- includes prep and everything. So it's their version of fast food. And I get so inspired by that that I'm actually cooking now because I don't know if people know. I've moved into a new place and I'm friggin' broke. And <laughs> so I have to cook my own food now, being the adult that I am. Oh, and because you're like 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 me as well, there's like a point where I'm like, I'm broke, but I'm not so broke that I'm going to eat cup noodles again. <laughs> So I refuse to buy cup noodles, yeah, yeah. but I've bought like basic ingredients and it's kind of what can I rummage up in a matter of 15 minutes because I'm freaking starving. Oh, speaking of cup noodles, I've recently discovered, courtesy of my boyfriend, that there are cup noodles with real meat in it. Yep. The Ichiban ones. Yep. What? I've never heard of these before. I love cup noodles. It's not dehydrated meat. It's like real meat. Chunks. I love cup noodles. They are, they are my version of comfort food. I don't, I don't seek fried food. I don't seek high carb food. Sharon's dying. I want real, I want cup noodles and I want to crack an egg into it. That's all I want to do. Seriously. No, like I've been stocking up on, um. Cup noodles. Not on cup noodles, on chicken. All right. Well, uh, that takes us to the end of our recommendation section. Thanks once again, listeners. Uh, thank you, Di, for joining us. You know, I'm o- always happy to be here. And thank you, Sharon, for uh, the Kush gigs. You uh, no Kush worries. Digs. Happy to have you guys here. That's us for now. Until next time, listeners, uh, ink well. Future episodes of this podcast can be found at the nibsection.com and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hop onto iTunes, rate us, review us, recommend us to your friends. Want to share your thoughts, suggestions, feedback? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at the nibsection at gmail.com. You can also comment at us on the nibsection Facebook page or at the nibsection on Twitter and Instagram. The nibsection is the official podcast of Fountain Pants Oceania. Our producers this episode were Diana Dye, Chuck Montano, and Sharon Zah. Recording and editing was done by Diana Dye. Special thanks this episode goes to Chrissy Kowalan, who loaned Diana her Visconti Homo sapiens. Our music was composed by Michael Pierce. Our logo was designed by Will H. Smith with artwork by Melissa Graff. Thanks for listening. <laughs>